One of the reasons why I love that story is because it puts on vivid display that, the act, that an act of generosity is a gift. The ability to live generously, to put into practice generosity is a gift. And many times it is in acts of generosity that we see Jesus most vividly in our lives. And today we are going to continue on in a series called The Gift where we're doing a deep dive look at the language of the scripture and as it relates to God's generous gift to us, his grace towards us. We've been looking at different features of it and today uh, we're going to do uh, a little bit of study as to how it changes our lives for the better. Now, one of the things I wanted to remind you of before we get into the text today is that we are uh, in the middle of this series, in the Christmas season, of course. We are also making sure to focus on the many gifts that God has given to us in 2020. And so on your way in, you'll see tables uh, near the doors, uh, near the entrance doors, uh, with uh, ornaments that look like this, and they are for you to take. And what we're doing with these is we're asking the question, what is one gift that God gave you in 2020 that you're grateful for? What is one gift that God gave you this year that you're grateful for? I know there's a lot about 2020 that we can complain about, but as a church family, we want to be marked by thankfulness even in years of crisis. And so if you would take one or two of those and fill that out, if you'd like to get up now and grab one, you're free to do that, or you can do that uh, after the service. And then when you're done filling that out, if you would please put it on the tree uh, in the lobby. It's uh, an opportunity for us as a church family to corporately express thanks to God's good gifts in this year, in this season. Now, for those of you who are watching online, uh, you have an opportunity to, there should be a button in the chat section on our online platform. If you click that and fill out the form, uh, one of our team members will fill out one of these uh, paper ornaments for you and put it on the tree on your behalf. Now, we're thinking about generosity. We're thinking about God's grace gift in our lives. And I want to ask you a question. Uh, this is applicable in every season, but especially in this season. I would ask you to consider this question. Is my life marked by grace-based generosity? Is my life marked by grace-based generosity? We see that Jesus frequently calls his followers to a life of generosity, generous with our time, generous with our resources, generous with our attitudes and dispositions towards others. Is my life marked by grace-based generosity? Now, church family, I want to say right off the bat that I am so proud of you as to how you have risen to the occasion this year. 2020 threw us a bunch of curveballs. In fact, one of the running jokes for pastors in the end of 2019, yes, pastors occasionally tell jokes, they're not often funny. But one of the running jokes between many of the pastors that I hang out with in 2019 was, are we all going to do a vision campaign next year called 2020 Vision? And we all made a blood oath to not do that <laughs> because that's ridiculous. Because <laughs> who can see what the future holds anyway? But I'm so glad that we chose not to because didn't 2020 end up a little bit differently than what we expected? And yet you as a church family have risen to the occasion through one of the most contentious political seasons, probably in, at least in my lifetime, maybe in the lifetime of our nation, 
to enduring uh, the pressures and pains and fears and, and health concerns of a global pandemic, uh, to uh, engaging, especially over the summer, in really hard conversations about racism and racial reconciliation and reconciliation writ large, and many, many other ways that you have risen to the occasion. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of this church family. I'm so glad to be a part of the family that Jesus has put together here at Desert Springs. And so I just want to encourage you for, uh, as we continue on through this holiday season, uh, we want to see these acts of generosity and opportunities for generosity as opportunities to mirror Jesus. I want to tell you, and I don't mean this to be like a downer by any means, but I don't think that when the calendar shifts from 2020 to 2021, that these problems and issues are going to suddenly disappear. In fact, the way that I'm kind of thinking about these next few months, maybe even years, is that our opportunities to live generously will not be decreasing in the years to come, but will likely be increasing. And one of the reasons why it's good for us to zoom in on this idea of God's grace and how that impacts a life of generosity is because we don't want to be a people who, under guilt, shame, or pressure, strive to conjure up some sort of generosity with inside of us. It's, it's something that we want to bring us joy, to bring life and life abundant, which Jesus promises. It's not something that we're going to do out of guilt, shame, or expectation. These are opportunities to put into practice the grace gift of God. And, and in America, especially American culture today, uh, fundraising is like a whole situation. In fact, it's a huge industry. Uh, I get advertisements at least once a month. I lead a 501c3 nonprofit. I'm, I, I think many of uh, within our church family are also uh, engaged in leadership in other nonprofits. And so you know that, that, that there's advertisements all the time from these very shrewd consultants who will tell you the top 10 tricks of increasing your fundraising. And many of them, I'm afraid, many of them are well-intentioned, but what it ends up coming down to is either leveraging fear or shame or obligation. There's another weird thing in American culture as it relates to fundraising that celebrities, for some reason, keep getting leveraged. And I think one of the plays is this. If they, those cool people do it, well, if I do it, then I'm cool too. As if, you know, if I donate to some celebrity's cause, then I'm going to be just as cool as that celebrity. You guys seen this phenomenon? I don't know when it started, but I know when the epitome of it was. I, th I think. I think the epitome of it was the 80s. Anyone grow up in the 80s? Anyone around in the 80s? You remember the 80s? Do you remember Live Aid? All right, so Live Aid. Some of us remember, some of us don't. I was three when it happened. The only reason I remember it is I like the band Queen, and one of their best performances was Live Aid. I don't know if we want to say amen to that, but I think you should. Amen. Live Aid was uh, produced by Bob Geldorf, and it was uh, this idea to get a bunch of British and American uh, musicians together for a big production, a big concert, and all the proceeds would benefit famine relief in Ethiopia. And so they, they put on this great show. But I think it was before that, they actually produced a hit single that many of you are hearing now. Have you guys ever been to, Tar have you been to Target, Home Depot, Walmart recently? And are they playing the Christmas songs on the... You guys hearing that stuff? Uh, how many of you have heard this song? I think we have a video.
The problem with that song is that it is like a cancer in your brain. And it's not going to leave easily. Merry Christmas, everyone. You guys ever heard that song? That's live. In fact, Bob Geldorf, the producer of it, was one of the folks featured there, along with some other celebrities that some of us may remember. But it was leveraging this idea. It was this massive fundraising effort to raise funds for famine relief in, in Ethiopia. And it was leveraging celebrity. These cool people are doing it. Would you like to be cool? Well, for a generous donation of XYZ, you too can be as cool as Sting singing Feed the World. And so we have to take a look at how it is that God's grace shapes and impacts our view of generosity. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, and we're going to look at one of the, uh, 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 we're going to look at a fundraising letter. It's a portion of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And I'm going to uh, read it here in just a minute, and we're just going to take some notes. But what I'd encourage you to do is first start here. And we've, we've, we've discussed this over the last few weeks during our study, The Gift, that God is generous to us, that he has given to us not only salvation, the good news of the gospel, that anyone who turns from sin and turns to him, anyone who turns from their own rebellion and turns to Jesus, Jesus always says yes to. And he doesn't give us this gift of his grace out of obligation or compulsion. He does so freely and abundantly. And so what we're going to do is we're going to think about how it is that God's grace gift shapes our understanding of generosity. Now, this language of grace gift, it sounds strange for some of us, but as we discovered just a couple of weeks ago as we started the series, and by the way, if you haven't had a chance to catch up on this series, I'd encourage you to visit our website, dsbc.church, where we have uh, an archive of the previous sermons. I'd encourage you, if you didn't get a chance uh, make sure you listen to the first sermon because it's going to do a deep dive into what I'm about to say really quickly. That the language in the text in the New Testament that often gets translated as grace, one of the key words that usually gets translated as grace is charis, which could also be translated as gift. In fact, the language of God's grace towards us is wrapped up in gift language. And so this language of charis can mean gift, favor, grace, gracious, thankfulness. It talks about the multifaceted uh, aspects of gift giving. Not only the uh, heart of the giver, it could also refer to the gift itself. It can also refer to the giving of the gift. It can also refer to the recipient's response to the gift, namely thankfulness or uh, gratefulness, which is again why we're doing the What Am I Thankful For in 2020 ornament. And there's four aspects of God's gift, his grace gift, that is amazing. God's grace gift is amazing because, number one, it is given without regard to the worth of the recipient. Not that the recipient is worthless, but when God considers whether or not he's going to give this gift, it is not with regard to the worth of the recipient. The second reason it's so amazing is it's not given out of obligation. God is not under compulsion to give to you his grace gift, namely himself. Number three, God's grace gift is superabundantly lavish. God cannot be faulted for being stingy. And last week we talked about how the ultimate expressions of God's grace is the gift of himself. So if you think about the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, even, uh, have you guys ever heard of Christmas? You guys have heard of Christmas? Some of us know. It's coming up. Make sure to check Wikipedia in just the next couple of weeks. Uh, Right? Christmas is the recognition that God took on flesh and became one of us. 
He gave of himself, right? Super abundantly lavish. Number four, that God's gift is amazing because it is effective in changing things for the better. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at how God's grace gift changes us for the better with a specific eye to what it means to live generously, recognizing that generosity is an opportunity to mirror the grace of God. To live generously is to mirror Jesus' own character. So let's take a look. We're going to look at first in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Now, here's the deal. Do you remember, have you guys ever heard it said that the language of God's grace is always wrapped up in gift language? You guys ever heard that before? Good. So we're going to read through a bunch of texts. And I just want to make some notes because what I want you to see, and in this fundraising letter that the Apostle Paul writes, I want you to see that he has so interwoven the language of a financial gift for famine relief, he's woven it together with the idea of Jesus giving us himself. The language that he uses is the same language. The Apostle Paul, I'd like to, I'd like to prove to you through this text today, that the Apostle Paul sees acts of, uh, Christian acts of generosity in the same vein of the Jesus uh, grace-giving gift. He sees them almost inextricably linked. To do one is to be tethered to the other. Now watch this. I, I would like to prove it to you. In fact, I need your help. Is that okay? What I'd like for you to do is anytime we come across in the text grace gift language, so gift language, gift-giving language, I would like for you to go, yo, so you can help remind me to point out where we're seeing it, okay? So, so I'm going to go through a bunch of different texts like this one. Anytime you see a grace, gift language, right? Grace, gift-giving, anytime you see something like that, uh, just like if you see, uh, you know, um, a Lexus gift parked in your driveway, which I know many of us are just praying for, if you open the front door, what do you do when you see the Lexus? Yo! <laughs> okay, so you're not getting a Lexus this year, but I would like to point out uh, in the text the beautiful uh, grace gift of God, and you're going to help me by when we see it, when we come across it, what are you going to say? Yo. Okay. Now, if you're watching online, make sure you chat the yo, because this is a very quiet group here today. I'm going to need your help too. Okay, so you guys ready? Here we go. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God. Yo. Very good. That was given, right? Given to the churches in Macedonia. Now watch this. Watch what he talks about as it relates to the grace of God. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Very good. So do you see, even right now, Paul, in the midst of this fundraising letter, he's writing to a group of people in a place called Corinth. That's why we call the letter Second. Corinthians. So he's writing to a group of Christians in a place called Corinth. He's referencing another church, a church in a place called Macedonia, or a group of churches in Macedonia. And he's writing for, the context of all this is he's writing a fundraising letter to send money to Jerusalem because they are experiencing a great famine. People are not able to put food on the table. And Paul now is going to write this fundraising appeal, which, by the way, the majority of the Apostle Paul's ministry, he frequently references the need to provide for this famine relief. When you read the Apostle Paul through the New Testament, you will find that he's frequently saying things like, hey, let's not forget about that. Uh, as far as I can tell from my studies, this was about a 10-year process, a 10-year fundraising campaign 
uh, around the Mediterranean world. In fact, I've got a map. Anyone like maps? Okay. Here's a map. Here's Corinth, right? So you're looking at basically, uh, uh, here's Asia Minor. Jerusalem's right here. Here's the Mediterranean. So Jerusalem's here. He's writing to a group of people in Corinth here, and he's referencing another church in Macedonia up here. And he's saying to the Corinthian church, hey, that church in Macedonia, they're poorer than you are. In fact, one of the things that we, we think about the Corinthian church is that they actually, as a, as a trade uh, 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 hub, uh, were likely quite wealthy. And so the Apostle Paul is talking about the Macedonian church who in the midst, did you notice this? I want you just to see something. Let me see if I can go back here. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was, thank you very much, that was given to the churches of where? Macedonia. Okay, so it was given to the churches of Macedonia. And then he talks about that it was brought about by their affliction, their abundant joy, tethered with their what? Extreme what? Poverty. Overflowed in a wealth of generosity. He goes on. Very good. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability, TV time out, have you ever heard that God's grace is super abundantly lavish? Good. Beyond their ability and of their own accord, TV time out, have you ever heard that God's grace gift is not given out of compulsion or obligation? Did you, did you, see, do you see any of that in this text? Beyond their ability, of their own accord, they, be, now watch this. <laughs> The Apostle Paul is a super smart guy. They begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. This is a fundraising campaign. He's saying the poor Macedonian church is begging us for an opportunity to give a financial gift. Why would the Macedonian church beg for the opportunity to give a financial gift for famine relief in a place that most of them had never been? Great question. Let's see if we can answer it. Uh, this ministry to the saints, and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves. Have you, very good, have you ever heard the idea that the ultimate expression of God's grace gift is his own self? Have you ever heard of Christmas? Did you know that Christmas is a celebration of the grace gift of God, God becoming flesh, giving himself, Notice in the text, and said they gave what? They gave themselves, first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urge Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Yo! Wait a minute. I thought we were talking about fundraising. Do you see that the Apostle Paul is tethering this idea of a life of generosity to the expression of God's grace gift? Gets, uh, the plot thickens, by the way. Let's keep going. Oh, I wanted to notice this. Uh, the Macedonian church, rich or poor? Very poor, right? Out of their affliction, and yet they're begging for it. Do you know that even uh, today, in our city, that it is uh, the poorest among us who are per capita the most generous? In their life, in their service, in their expressions of generosity, uh, many of us have had the opportunity uh, to be the recipients of grace. Hmm? And for some of us, we've had that experience uh, gifted to us by someone who is of lesser means than we are, which is completely backwards according to the American system. Hmm? It is often 
those who, have, uh, who recognize in their own life that they have been the recipients of much grace that live generously. I wonder what that might mean for us. That it is often those who have the least that give the most. In fact, here within Desert Springs, we have a benevolence fund. Uh, basically, the benevolence fund is a place that we can donate, and 100% of every donation that goes into the benevolence fund is given to the community to provide for life-sustaining needs. As people come to the church family and say, hey, I have a need, I need medicine, I need food, I can't pay my electric bill, I need a place to stay, can you help? That's what the Benevolence Fund does. Do you know that we have many folks who consistently and frequently give to the Benevolence Fund because they have received from the Benevolence Fund? And I'm just so thankful for those within our church family, our volunteers who oversee our Benevolence Fund. It is such a ministry. In fact, just a few weeks ago, we had someone come on campus, a, a mom. She's not from the U.S. She was gainfully employed, but lost the job. COVID's made it very difficult. She's got two little kids. And she pointed to her vehicle and said, you know, this is where we're going to stay if we can't get a place. Can you help? And she came, by the way, at night when nobody was here except for a couple of folks. Just happened upon and through a series of connections, was able to connect with members of our benevolence team. And she walked through those doors last Sunday after a second service let out and just said, thank you so much. We were able to provide meals for my kids. We've got a place to stay, and I'm so thankful for her. And then she put the person's name. She mentioned the person's name. Is she here right now? And I'm like, man, we closed. Like, I don't like... <laughs> but she, her heart was full of gratitude. And you know what one of the things she said was? How can I give back? And so Paul's appealing to the Corinthian church, which were people of means generally, elevating the generosity of the, the church in Macedonia. And he calls it this act of grace. Okay, remember your yo. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, TV timeout. This is like a church trivia thing. If you guys aren't familiar growing up in church, I totally get it. That's totally fine. But for those of you who may, have you guys ever heard of the phrase, the, um, like the gifts of the Spirit? Yeah, spiritual gifts. Ringing any bells for some of us? Okay, so I want you just to see that the Apostle Paul here, faith, speech, and knowledge, he seems to be kind of listing out some of what he might call spiritual gifts, especially in his letters to the Corinthians. They might recognize that and be like, oh, those are spiritual gifts. I want you to see what the Apostle Paul does. Oh, TV timeout. You should be asking yourself this theological question. I know many of you already are. Is there any gift that's given by God that couldn't be considered to be a spiritual gift? Is there any gift that's given by God that wouldn't be considered a spiritual gift? You know, in, in Christian circles, a lot of times we talk about what's your spiritual gifts, and we usually regulate it to things that are, feel more spiritual according to our, you know, westernized eyes. But I want you to see what the Apostle Paul does, because he's not a westerner and he doesn't have a problem with this. In faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. I am not saying this as a command. Okay, this act of grace. What's the act of grace? It's a financial gift for famine relief. He seems to be putting it in the same category as a spiritual gift. In fact, generosity is one of those gifts that he lists out in another place. Okay, now, have you ever heard it said that that God does not give to, his, give to us his grace gift out of compulsion. You ever heard that before? Yeah. Notice he says it again. 
I'm not saying this as a command, right? He's not leveraging guilt, shame, expectation, or obligation. Let's keep going. Rather, by the means of diligence of others, I'm testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, this is a Christmas story. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. He tells the Christmas story. Hmm? Where was Jesus born? Somebody help me out. In a manger. Where, like, who gets born in a manger? Kings and princes don't get born in mangers. He, though he was rich, for your sake became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. Do you see that the Apostle Paul is tethering the grace gift of God to the grace gift of a life of generosity for the Corinthian church? Do you see it? Okay, I, just, I, I think some of you are agreeing with me, but I think many of us still have questions, so I just want to double down on my argument. First of all, what makes God's gift so gr- amazing? Number one, it's given without regard for the worth of the recipient. Have we heard anything about, you know, the Jerusalem church deserves it because they were the first church? Did you get to any of that in the letter so far? Nope. Two, it was not given out of obligation. How many times has the Apostle Paul said, I'm not commanding you? Right? Don't do this out of obligation. It's super abundantly lavish. He seems to reference the fact that the Macedonian church's gift was beyond their means. And number four, it's effective in changing things for the better. If you can get the money into their hands, it'll put food on the table so they can live another day. Let's keep going. It is not. uh, This is in uh, chapter 8, verses 13 and 14. Oh, I love this. It is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. Now, I'm going to say this, and if this raises many questions in your minds, good. I would love to talk with you more about it. Okay? Is that fair? I'm just going to do this so fast. Communism, socialism, capitalism, feudalism, all of them fall short of the biblical standard of what the grace gift of God means. I'm not telling you which one's better or which one's worse. What I'm trying to tell you is, notice what the Apostle Paul says. What's he say? Equality. You know what it means in the original Greek? Equality. And right now, I just just want to say this. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to to drop the mic and we're going to keep going. There's a lot of fear-mongering and gnarly rhetoric Uh, where people get called communists and socialists if they talk about equity and equality. And I just want to say that Jesus followers should care about equality. Uh, We should care about, um, oh boy, taking (laughs) on our own power, notice this, it's not the government doing it, but making sure that those who don't have food on the table get food on the table, especially if we have storehouses that are overflowing. I'm not saying that to try to get you to align with some sort of economic principle or system, okay? I'm your pastor, not your financial advisor. But as your pastor, I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt, that capitalism, communism, socialism, feudalism, they all fall short of the kingdom of God ideal. And churches don't need to be afraid of being called names when we strive to live out the kingdom of God's values. So if in our generosity we get called anti-capitalist or pro-communist or anti-communist and pro-capitalist, whatever it is, we get called those names, I just want to encourage you, church family, Christians being called names for living out the kingdom of God values is a 2,000-year-old hustle. And at the end of the day, 
We have the love and acceptance of the king and creator of the universe who cares what the paupers think, especially when we're striving to follow Jesus. All right, so if you've got questions about that, love to talk to you more about it. At the present time, your surplus is available for their needs so that their abundance may in turn meet your need in order that there there may be what? Equality. Okay, let's keep going. God's gift is amazing because it's given without regard for the worth of the recipient. It's not given out of obligation. It's super abundantly lavish. It's effective in changing things for the better. We're going to blow through this next section just because I want to like quadruple down on this argument. And then I'm going to ask you one more time the question that we started with. Is my life marked by grace-based generosity? Therefore, I considered it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead of you, uh, to go ahead to you and arrange in advance the generous gift you promised so that it will be ready as a gift not as extortion. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. He goes on. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion. Why? Because doing so reluctantly and out of compulsion would not be to mirror the grace gift of God. You see? Did God give to us his grace out of obligation, compulsion, or reluctantly? No. So, so we should also not do that. So that's why every week when we talk about uh, an opportunity to worship through giving of offering, we'll say something like, this is not, we don't do this because of guilt, shame, expectation, obligation. We definitely don't do it because of what the people around us might think. Why do we say that? It says it here in the text. And it wouldn't be mirroring the grace gift of God, which is where the joy is. Right? I mean, listen, church family, I want to be so clear with you. I want all your money. I want it so bad. I think I could spend it so much wiser than you. Just give it to me, okay? Now that we've got that out of the way, I'm in repentance for that, hopefully. Now that we've got that out of the way, listen, I just, pastorally, on behalf of our ministerial team, we are not calling the people under our care to a generous life so we can hit a budget. I believe there is so much joy in it. Whether it's given here or wherever else God leads, don't say no to the gift that God has for you in living generously. All right? I mean, is that fair? So many in my profession have made it really difficult for me to do this sermon because they're flying around on jets. By the way, Christmas idea. (laughs) Why do they got a jet and Caleb Campbell don't got no jet? I'd settle for a chopper. Each person should do as he has decided in their heart, not reluctantly or a compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Because God is a cheerful giver. And God is able to make, okay, so many of us are like, hold up, what happens if I can't make ends meet? That might have been what some of the Macedonian Christians might have been asking. God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, Having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely. He gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. I believe he's quoting Isaiah there. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Do you see how he's tethering living a life of giving generosity to righteousness or God-likeness? So you will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving 
to God through us. That's why we're doing this. I want you to see that the Apostle Paul is showing you that when you live generously, the recipients of that generosity, what does it produce in them? Generosity, but also thanksgiving. When, now, I, I want to just, okay. When we live generously, it increases the worship of God, which is why we talk about generosity as an act of worship. Let's keep going. For the ministry of this service not only supply, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing to many expressions of what? Thanks, worship to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel. Notice this. Watch what he does. He's going to tether the confession of the good news of the gospel with a life of generosity. Hmm? Confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, notice the reciprocity. Notice who's the they? The future recipients of the generosity, right? Those who are stricken by famine. As they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is a worship song. I mean, Paul here is bubbling over as he meditates on the grace gift of God and how we have an opportunity to put that into practice in tangible ways. And so I would encourage you to meditate on this question. Is my life marked not by obligatory generosity, not by shame-based generosity, because that's, I don't think that's actually generosity. Not by compulsion, not out of obligation, but is my life marked by grace-based generosity? To put it another way, am I mirroring with my time and my resources the character of Jesus as he has freely given his grace gift, right? Given without regard for the worth of the recipient, not given out of obligation, super abundantly lavish, effective in changing things for the better, is my life marked by grace-based generosity, generosity which looks like this. And the end result will be an increase of thankfulness, worship, and joy in your life. For many of us, we are wrestling with this because we think, well, I can't give much. And I just want to encourage you that Jesus is not looking at the number. He elevates the poor who give generously, even if the dollar amount is less than that which the rich have given. Jesus is not looking at a dollar amount. He's looking where? So I just want to encourage you that in Scripture, it is often those who have the least who give out of their uh, scarcity that are elevated in the kingdom. But I know that for many of us, too, we're, we're, we're having a hard time. We feel like we don't have the tools. We feel like we don't even know how to make sense of money and, and how to budget. And I would just encourage you, uh, early next year, we're kicking off uh, a series of uh, groups called Financial Peace University. And if you'd like to know more about that, you can text uh, the word hello to the number that you see on the screen. We would love to help you take this next step. So if you're interested in Financial Peace University, just text hello to that number, and we'll send you some information. Uh, Oh, church. What if we lived our lives striving to build an anonymous legacy of blessing 
that elevates not ourselves or our institutions, but only the Lord. And in the process, in giving our lives to it, what if we found such a robust joy that it caught on in our city? May we be a people who live in light of this truth. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you and we give you thanks. It is in light of your grace gift that we strive to live generously, mirroring your grace gift. Lord, would you give us wisdom, even in just these last few weeks of the year, would you give us wisdom, insight, and vision as to how to put this into practice? May we not be a people of fear. May we not be a people who give out of guilt, shame, or obligation, but freely and generously just as you have given, Jesus. And yet in a world of such great need, Lord, we need your guidance. So I pray that for each of us as you have equipped us, would you guide us step by step, moment by moment, even now as we're thinking about our next step. Empower us to follow this truth. Jesus, we pray these things knowing that you love us and you're powerful to bring them about, and so we give ourselves to you. It's in your name we pray, amen. Amen. Church, I love you. More importantly, Jesus loves you so much. Hope to see you next Sunday.